We are so glad you decided to join us today for our Compelled podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you. We would love for you to message us on social media and connect through our website at compelled316.com. Now let's get started. Bob Morrison is here to get us thinking about what it means to live a compelled life. Hey, what's up, guys? So I remembered uh, that we had talked a little bit about how bad things happen to good people. And we've had those conversations in the past. And I think every one of us has a season or a moment where we just go, hey, God, what's the deal? You know, why am I getting handed this? And it's real easy to slip into the idea that God is like Oz, that he pulls a lever and makes things happen in your life. But the reality is we're given this gift called free will. And it's just sort of like, um, you know, if you have a teenager and you say, hey, here's the keys to the car, I would really like it if you didn't tear it up or get hurt. Um, But at the end of the day, you're responsible for how you drive, where you go, what you do, uh, and hopefully you come back in one piece and it's not too tore up. I've given you free will to go drive the car and, and try to make smart decisions. And it's sort of like that with our lives. You know, I don't want anyone to think that we're just puppets with strings attached and God says, watch this, I'm going to make you do this or that. It's just not biblical. In fact, it says that we are given the choice to live this life. And over and over and over, when you watch uh, Paul in the Bible or Jesus, the things they say uh, is typically to say, hey, dude, um, in this world you will have trouble, uh, but try to rise above it. Uh, in James it says, uh, you know, this the perfect religion uh, in the eyes of God is one where you don't uh, conform to the ways of this world, that you don't get watered down by all of the bad stuff going on out there. So um, fast forward to why we're talking today about this. Um, Many years ago, man, almost literally 20 years ago, Uh, There was a family in my community that just said, Hey, uh, we met at church, and uh, I know you're just trying to figure it out, but uh, why don't you come over for Sunday dinner? And we did, as a family. And uh, the people, the husband and wife, treated us amazing. But the thing that blew me away when I walked in their house is they had uh, little notes written down on the cabinets that were taped to the cabinets and it was scriptures it was verses that you know remind you always do everything with joy uh seek the lord first in everything that you do and there were these little reminders all through the house on the mirror in the bathroom uh on the doors going out of the house um bedroom doors everywhere and i was so um intrigued by that you know because i wasn't uh I wasn't just diving in and consuming God with everything I had. I was still trying to figure it out. So, uh, yeah, so started going over there, eating meals on Sundays, and then eventually um, they said, hey, um, husband gets a hold of me, and he says, why don't you come over for this Bible study? And I was like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm 
Um, Bible study is probably not something that I have done or know much about, but it kind of spooks me. And he said, here's the deal. Um, I got this video series of Beth Moore. And so uh, come over and I've got a little bit of uh, some Bud Lights and we'll have a beer and we'll watch Beth Moore. So I gave in, I said, okay, sounds good, cool. We'll drink a beer, we'll watch Beth Moore. And uh, after the first one, going over there, I think it was on like Monday nights, I realized this is pretty profound stuff that Beth is talking about. And I began to write down stuff to make notes. And after a while, um, I was kind of consumed with it, just like wanted to learn more, wanted to know, you know, who Jesus really was, who God was, and, and how it affected our lives. And this turned into a friendship where we uh, went over there, literally, they they continued to have these uh, meetings even after Beth Moore. And they said, what if we just had like, let's just build a fire out in the yard, like a you know campfire, everybody sits around the fire, we'll cook some hot dogs. And if somebody has something they want to share, whether it's from the Bible or something God's put on your heart, let's just go for it. So that's where it started. And pretty soon the crowd around that campfire, it grew, you know, 10 people, 20 people, 30 people. And it became this Sunday afternoon ritual to gather around this fire. And we called it the gathering. And there was a point where I just felt like, you know, God was compelling me to to lean, to preach, to teach. And ultimately, um, I became, uh, I got ordained in the church that we were attending and went through theology classes and began to just really soak up the Word of God. And there was a point where they just said, hey, uh, man, you know, you, you have a gift. You can teach and you inspire. So why don't we continue to do this uh, on a bigger scale? Why don't we start helping people? Why don't we go out and actually be um, the hands and feet of Jesus? Why don't we go try to make a difference in this world? And I was kind of like, that's pretty awesome to think about, really. And um, that's how our ministry was born. We found an old abandoned church out in the country, and it was that couple and that family who went and helped us get it going. They helped to to paint, they helped to hang drywall, they helped to uh, sand the floors, prepare everything. There was so much effort on their part that they just literally carried me. I felt uh, inspired because of how much they prayed for us and how much they uh, pitched in. And they were one of those families that when something was going down with me, they would literally surround me, their kids and husband and wife, they would put their hands on me and they'd say, we're just going to pray for you. You know, we're going to pray for this mission. We're going to pray for where you're going and how you're going to uh, maybe touch somebody's life and, and maybe how you're going to reflect Jesus. So for like the next 20 years, uh, that's it just grew and grew and grew. And one day, a um, couple weeks ago, I get this phone call. And the phone call was one of those that you uh, you don't expect to get. I was uh, working a temporary job down in the Florida Keys. And it was one of those jobs where 
you know, doing uh, new orientation, which means you're stuck in front of a computer and you really can't move. You can't go anywhere or do anything. And so um, I'm just kind of sitting there doing the time and my phone has a, a silent message on it from the fire department that there's an emergency at this husband and wife's house. And that in itself was pretty scary for me. And then all of a sudden my phone begins to blow up. People saying, call me right away, call me ASAP, call me as soon as you can. So I finally called one of them and I said, uh, so what's going on? You know, what can you tell me? And they said, well, um, there's just no easy way to tell you this, um, but one of their children uh, has passed away. And uh, it was David. You know, I knew David to be about 19 years old, but he was 20 and he was living at home. And basically they said, you know, uh, he didn't answer when they knocked on his bedroom door and they had to break the door down. And uh, he was already gone. Uh, he had passed away. And it ended up being uh, an overdose um, on purpose. And it, it felt like somebody had actually cut my soul with a knife. You know, I couldn't grasp the idea of how something could go so wrong that David wouldn't reach out to any of us in such a godly family that has done so much for so many. I mean, I watch this family and they they gave up Christmas one year so that they could uh, help another family that had lost their home to a tornado. They donated money when they didn't have money. They donated time when they didn't have it. Um, David went on missions with me in uh, several places and uh, all of the kids really did. And, and it was just heartbreaking, you know, to think it had just come to an end. It was the most terrible, gut-wrenching end to a young life. And I kept thinking, what did we miss? Where did we go wrong? What, what was it that, that David was battling that was so intense that he couldn't say to any one of us, hey, this is my struggle, this is my conflict, this is my battle, nothing. And as the word hit the community and, and uh, man, people just started calling from everywhere and showing up, you know, from, from everywhere. And uh, I mean, literally hundreds of people started calling and showing up with food and money for this family to try to console them in some little way for the loss of their son, David. And it was tough. Um, I got on a plane, I flew up there, and even just sitting on the plane, I found myself, uh, I just start crying. I couldn't grasp the idea that he was really gone. It was one of those moments when you say, you know, bad things happen. And we always say, God, will do something amazing with it. But do we really believe that when it's under our own roof? I mean, a lot of people say, well, you know, God will do something amazing from this. 
But how do you tell parents who've lost their child that something good's going to come from that, that God's going to do something amazing with it? Uh, you can't see that. You know, I've, I've sat in hospital waiting rooms and inpatient rooms with families many, many times when tragedy came. And I just watched their eyes and, and you could literally see the light drain out of their eyes because they were dealing with something that there was just no way it was going to be okay. It was one of those things that just truly wasn't going to be okay. Well, on Friday, the husband and wife um, got their son's phone back. There was a police investigation because obviously they wanted to check everything. And and uh, the mom and dad said, can you come with us and talk to us in private in the bedroom? So we closed the door from the crowd. And the mom and dad said, hey, we got David's phone back. And... Uh, there's a little bit of a problem. I said, okay, go ahead and give it to me. What's the problem? And they said, well, um, his girlfriend, uh, she's been staying here with us and she's extremely distraught. You know, we've opened up our house for her to stay here and we're trying to console her. And then as we look through the messages, we find a message where David messaged the girlfriend and said that he's going to uh, end it all, take his own life. And at that moment, the mom and dad are looking at me and I said, well, well what are you thinking? And they, they both said, you know, the human side is we have rage. Um, our anger is we want to say, get out of our house um, and react in a way that's completely ungodly, anger, uh, revenge. And I said, okay, so is that what we're going to do? Is that, is that how we're going to handle this? And they both were in this pause where they were just looking at each other and they looked down at the floor and you could see them tearing up. And then they both literally said, no, we're going to do what Jesus would do. And that means... We're going to show her forgiveness and we're going to show her grace and show her love. Because if we don't show her those things, she may never know Jesus or his grace. And I said, wow, this is, this is massive. This is a, it's a huge teaching moment for so many because the community is watching to see those that know the inside story are watching to see how this family is going to respond. You know, we're going to toss this girl out and say, good riddance. And they said, no, no. Um, she would be welcome in the arms of Jesus, so she's welcome in our arms. And so as they had the conversation with the girlfriend and they met with her and said, listen, um, we need to talk about this. this. We know that David sent this message. And we know that you've been carrying this tremendous guilt for the whole week to conceal that, to not have one person to say, David warned me that he was going to do this. And even in your answer to David in the text was, uh, are we really going to do this? Are we going to, are we going to go through this again, David, as if he's crying wolf? 
So as a human, she probably didn't think he was serious. And from the outside looking in, we want to say, oh, I'd like to judge her because she didn't tell anybody, because she didn't act on it. But that means that I have to be the person who's going to say I'm the judge or that I'm going to determine what she should have done, what she could have done. But this mom and dad said, no way. We're going to say right now to her, hey, we know about it. We know you're carrying this massive guilt and we want you to know we forgive you and we love you and we're going to show you the grace of Jesus Christ and you're welcome here and we're going to help you get through this. And she literally could not hold herself up. Her legs would not hold her up as she wailed with the relief of being able to unload that phenomenal burden of guilt. And I listened as the, the mom and dad uh, behind closed doors late into the night. I could hear the sobs and the wails. And there's something about that when you know that part of the reason they're wailing is their loss of their son. And part of it is giving in to be what Jesus called us to be, which is givers of grace and forgiveness. Because it, it, it's going to hurt a little bit. And in this case, it hurts a lot. You know, they would most likely want to be angry. They would most likely want to point the finger of blame. But to say, no, Jesus, if, if we're really going to be followers of you, then we got to show it to the others around us. It's the only way that his message gets handed off. And it's just mind-blowing that these parents could do this. You know, I remember when the Amish community was rocked by that shooting and the Amish community went to the shooter's family and said, hey, we forgive you. And we love you and we're here for you. The whole world was watching. And it was a moment, a teaching moment when they were saying, yeah, we choose the grace of Jesus over our own human nature. And I wonder how you and I do with that. You know, it's, it's easy to talk smack and say, yeah, if that ever happened, I'd be the same way. But until it's your kid, until it's your loved one, a spouse, a, a partner, a, a family member that has been lost to something that just seems like such a, a waste, a, a tragedy. And there's always a face. We want to assign a face to that tragedy to say, that person right there, they're the ones that made this happen. But the reality is, David had free will. David had a choice. David chose to take his own life. Does it hurt like crazy? Absolutely. It crushes me every day I cry. I want him back. I want to be able to fix it. But at the end of the day, I know I can't. That the only thing left is God. And the only thing that God can do is make something great out of something terrible. And I feel like he already has because he's taught so many people grace through the actions of this mother and this father. They didn't have to do that, but they chose to. David was an amazing character. He was that personality that everybody wanted to know 
and wanted to be around. He didn't know a stranger. And they heard me talking one time about a, a message I gave about the two dates on your tombstone, the date that you're born and the date you die. And the one that you have the most control over is the dash in the middle, that little mark that's between when you're born and when you die. And I asked the question, what do you do with your dash? How do you live your dash? And I felt like David lived his dash just like full of energy and passion. He covered a lot of ground, loved music, loved to joke with me and dance and cheer on the Minnesota Vikings and all the things that made David who he was. And we had so many great deep conversations uh, that I'm going to miss. But I sat down with the parents and I said, you know, one of the things that David always teased me about, because David was an awesome runner, uh, he could run and run for long distance. And I would say, David, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a mile. And he'd say, oh, Bob, that's just a dash. Or I'd say, I'm going to run a 5K. And he's like shaking his head, grinning at me, going, that's just a dash. So we talked about it with the family and we said, what if this September, right there in Vincennes, Indiana, what if we were to have a race that would bring something cool to David's memory and also to bring uh, funds that would support suicide awareness, the things that, that are close to our heart right now, and let's just call it David's Dash. And we'll have a shirt that says, it's all about the Dash. At the end of the day, it really is. It's all about the dash. Are you living your dash full of grace and forgiveness? Or are you living your dash full of anger and bitterness? I pray that you find a way to reflect Jesus while you're living out your dash. Hey, this is Bob Morrison. I'll see you somewhere out there. We are truly thankful you chose to spend some time with us here at Compelled. If you enjoyed today's message, we encourage you to like it, share it on social media, and check out our website, compelled316.com. God bless you, and we hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you somewhere out there.